Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. And we'll be speaking about a very interesting topic. It's called Under Your Skin, the Interstitium. You probably never heard of that. Neither did I until recently. Around a year ago, medical researchers discovered a new body part. They can't yet classify it as an organ because it needs certain conditions, but it is a potential new organ. Just last year, imagine. After all we know about the human body, they discovered a new body part. And it's called the interstitium. It's essentially a, uh, a body of under the skin and under any cell, there are different layers. And this one is called, is, consists of a network of fluid-filled spaces in connective tissue across the body that has never been seen before. Previously, it was thought, and remember, many studies have been done, x-rays, um, uh, all kinds of different scans, but previously, it was thought that these tissue layers were a dense wall of strong structural protein found in connective tissue. I'm reading from the study. But the new finding reveals that rather than a wall, the tissue is more like an open, fluid-filled highway, quote-unquote, which is the quote from one of the co-senior study authors of this research, Dr. Neil Theus, a professor of pathology at New York University's Langone School of Medicine. And the reason it was previously thought so, because even though tests were done, but what they do usually when they test different levels, layers under the skin, you test it in a way that you then take and put it under a slide, what happened was that these layers that were filled with fluid, the fluid would be drained by the time they did the study. So the study was flawed. So they thought it was just the same layer that they always saw. But then, through different uh, tests and different of different people with certain diseases, God forbid, they discovered that, no, it is filled with fluid, and therefore it's a new dimension that has actually implications and far-reaching implications which are still being studied. And as I said, with all that's known about the, the human anatomy, this is quite a discovery, the fact that we discover something so close to us, yet so mysterious. I found it very intriguing because, interest, interestingly, in a class that I give on a daily basis, which I've mentioned, called Iron Bays, it's a, a class, a discussion, which you can uh, watch online and just go to MeaningfulLife.com and type in Iron Bays. It's the greatest magnum opus of Jewish mysticism in history. It's over two and a half thousand pages, and I've been teaching it now for almost eight years, where we every day a section of this long discourse. And in it, gathers together all the central themes of Kabbalistic and Hasidic literature, which above all, maps out the spiritual DNA of the human being. And there's an entire discussion on the different membranes that exist between different parts of the body, whether it's the membranes in the brain, the membranes between the conscious and the superconscious, as he puts it. There's the membranes between mind and heart. There's the membranes like the diaphragm. So our body is not just consists of organs and limbs and parts and cells, but it also consists of, we'll call them interfaces, filters, type of partitions or curtains even that create and the flow from one part of the body should flow to the other part in a regulated way. And a good, a simple example would be like a faucet. 
If a faucet is broken, it either floods or there's no water coming through. You need it to be gauged and regulated that the flow should be proper. And the same thing with the chemicals in the human body. And every part of the human body, whether it's the digestive system or the brain chemicals or other forces at work, you need to have not just those forces, you also need to have the valves and the in-betweens, these uh, interfaces that we'll call, which are, which are separate between one and another that, makes that, that creates the structure. So essentially every structure, just like in a home, you don't just have rooms, you also have walls between the rooms. You have doors that allow you to go from one room to the, same, to the other. The same is true in the human body. And the human body, created in the divine image, is a microcosm of the cosmos and of the divine itself. So all this teaches us about who we really are, both on a psycho-spiritual level, but also on a physical level, reflects, for my flesh I behold the divine, as it says in the book of Job. So from our flesh, from our actual human anatomy, you can discover secrets and mysteries about yourself, about your psychological self, about ways of understanding the universe at large and the cosmos themselves. So the Kabbalah and, the, and, and mysticism, Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism and Hasidic thought, maps out, literally, they maps out the human genome, the spiritual genome, and including the different membranes and the different interfaces in between one level and another. So reading about this, uh, this uh, fascinating discovery, which frankly was already seen by researchers before, but they didn't identify it as such, this interstitium, and I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, it immediately evoked all that I've studied about this topic, and some of the things actually answer some questions that I, we were having when we were studying this section in Ayin Beis. Ayin Beis, just for the record, is short in Hebrew for 72, referring to the year 5672, the Hebrew year, which is the equivalent of the year 1912, which is when the discourse began being delivered on Shavuos, actually, essentially 107 years ago. And seven, eight years ago, in honoring the centennial, I began to teach it on a daily basis. As I said, it's available online, many of the videos, and I continue teaching it every day. If you send us your information, your phone number, we'll be happy to also include you in a WhatsApp group where we literally every day post a new, a new section and a new installment of this class. So what was troubled us when we were studying it? So of course, it's talking about interfaces that are... We can only, we, as human beings, we have to categorize them in certain levels. But in truth, in truth, as he says in Ayin Beis, and based on Kabbalistic writings before, including the Isaac Luria, the Arizal, and before that, the Zohar, which goes back almost 2,000 years, that there's these interfaces, these membranes, everywhere. So every time you see a new one, a new one discovered, you realize that's just reflective, and it's teaching us about another membrane, another... I will call it this type of uh, interface, as I said, literally called open fluid filled highway. That immediately, the word highway struck me as being a critical component in understanding, the, and it's also called network. And therefore, when we were discussing this whole concept of these interfaces, so there are clearly ones that we are not always mentioned. So when you see one immediately, as I said, it's not just intriguing, it can illuminate a whole new dimension for our own lives. So let's discuss this a bit more. First, let's talk about the interstitium. So what is the role that researchers have so far discovered? So some call it a distributor. Being that the skin, of course, is made up of different cells, 
And everything in life, the human body, 60% of the human body is made up of water, of which I believe two-thirds are in, in the cellular structures. But water is a critical element of life. We know without water there's no life, even on a very basic level. Water was necessary for life, development of life in this, on this earth. And the same thing in the human body. There's no water, there's no sustenance. Even on a basic level, when you plant things and sow the fields, it needs water, it needs nurturing, it needs the water that irrigates the land that allows things to grow. And the same thing is in the human being. The equivalent of water, which we'll discuss a little later, in the human relationships is love. Love is compared to water. It's a form of nurturing, it's a form of cultivating, a form of making things grow. When you water a flower, you allow it to blossom. When you love somebody, you allow them to blossom. So, in a sense, water is a critical component. But water, you can't just have water everywhere. Water has to be filtered. And therefore, this, the interstitium plays a role in regulating the flow of the water from one part of the body to the next to bring the water to the, the skin. It cannot just be dry skin. It has to be moist. When it gets too dry, it can, um, if it gets very dry, it can really be actually destructive. But we know dry skin is not something very pleasant. You need moisture through your body, but you can't be saturated. It has to be regulated. So this interstitium plays a role in regulation of the distribution of, um, f- of uh, nutrients and moisture from one part of the body to the next. And that's why the interstitium is everywhere. It's not just by the skin, it's in the muscles, it's even in the brain, and many other places, wherever there are layers of connective tissue. So this is an underlying layer that, in a sense, serves as an interface between the higher layer, uh, the, above, the layers above, and the layers below. So what we're actually doing now is going under the dashboard. We're actually going under the skin. You know, under the skin, of course, someone's getting crawling under your skin. It's not exactly a positive compliment. It's referring to someone who's just really annoying. But under the skin also has another meaning, which is understanding that which drives the forces that are beneath the surface of our lives. That's one way it's discussed. Others compare the interstitium to something that, another interesting expression, a type of buffer. Think of it like a shock absorber. Being that its cavity is filled with, liquid, with, with water, fluid, so therefore it serves like a buffer, like a spring, that serves as a shock absorber for things, let's say, that strike the skin. So you have a shock absorber that doesn't allow it to really cause any damage. It's exactly as shock absorbers in our automobiles work. That there's bumps, or even just regular wear and tear in driving, it buffers and absorbs the pressure and the tension. So that's another interesting word here in that context, a type of buffer, a type of shock absorber. And definitely, they certainly believe that there are other, uh, other um, functions and, 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 and uh, roles that this interstitium plays. As I said, it's just a discovery last year, March 2018, when it was confirmed. Still has to be replicated, there's much more to go, but it's, but it's enough to talk about. So when we think of it that way, all the interfaces in the human body, every membrane, every layer that separates one thing from the next. Just think of the membrane that separates between the air pipe and the windpipe and the food pipe. So we know that when you take food out of your mouth, you don't want that food, God forbid, to go down the air pipe or the windpipe because that can cause choking. When you're breathing, you don't want that to go down the air duct, the air pipe. So who regulates that? The body has a sense of knowing of when something is entering your mouth, which one is it? Is it oxygen that has to be directed toward the lungs? 
and ultimately to the bloodstream, or is it food that needs to be directed toward the digestive system? If, unfortunately, the body doesn't recognize it or there's some error, it can cause a problem. That's just on a very simple level. You go through the human body, you'll find millions, if not billions, of forces of this nature that are, are regulators. Some of them are like buffers and shock absorbers. Some of them are distributors. Some of them are gauges and, le- and layers and levers. Some have to close before another one opens. Some have to open before another one closes. So literally, it's a series of, gauge, of gauges and levers and uh, regulators and valves and whatever other synonym you want to use that helps us be able to to recognize and see and recognize and also regulate the flow that the body is functioning in a proper way. Now, if you need examples of this, you can go out in nature and you'll see exactly the same thing. You'll see constant so-called doors that open and close through every, in every ecosystem, in every part of the ecosystem, in every possible way. Here we're focusing on the, the, in the, inst- the interstitium, but the truth can be, this can be applied to any other layer or, or uh, as I said before, gauge, or sometimes it's compared to partitions. You'll hear the word parsa or mosach in Hebrew or Aramaic that refer to these partitions or curtains the regulators, the interfaces is the best word because that is really a global umbrella word that, com- that covers all of it. So how would we apply this idea in a deeper level, as I said? This is the physical anatomy which reflects from my flesh I behold the divine. Our human body is a microcosm, is a small universe. It's a microcosm of the larger universe and of all the cosmos and ultimately of the highest spiritual levels. So let's discuss how this would be applied to us in a psycho-spiritual way, which both allows us to understand it in a personal manner and also te- lessons that it teaches us and what it reflects on the cosmic level, which I'm going to begin with that. So when you talk about the different, le- the different ways spirituality interacts with the material, so let's just use examples that I've used many, very often, but I'll just make it, make it palpable. Um, let's... Um, or I should say palatable, not palpable, palatable. Let's use a few examples. When we, today we know that what you see is not what you get. When you look at something, whatever it may be, it's just the surface level. So if you look at my hands right now, is that, you'll say, is that what a hand is made up of five, ten fingers? You know, there's, there's a whole structure behind it. There's the skeleton, there's the skin that we just talked about, there's the interstitium. So when you look at it on the surface level, all you see is like you look at the surface of an ocean or of a body of water. You see very little. You don't know what's going on under the surface. There's technology, science, medicine, especially in the last few centuries, and always, has always been searching for what are the causes beneath the surface. What's making things tick? What makes it tick? To do that, you have to dissect the anatomy of whatever it may be. So to use an example, when you see somebody, for example, cry, you see tears come out of their eyes. What do you know from that? You know they must be sad. Maybe it's tears of joy. Now, the sadness and the joy, you cannot see with your eyes. You can only see the tears. So the, no, no, would any normal person say, first you cry, then you feel sad? First you cry, then you feel happy? No. First you feel sadness within. For some reason, some psychosomatic psycho, way, it causes a physical reaction, chemicals to flow, filling your tear ducts with tears. 
And then, when that expresses itself, that becomes the tears come out of the person's eyes. Same thing with a smile on the face. You don't first feel, you don't first smile and then feel happy or glad or satisfied. First you feel satisfied in some way. You feel happy inside. That expresses itself in a certain contortion. It looks like a smile. Or you, something makes you, something humorous makes you laugh. It expresses itself in a laugh. So someone who doesn't know what a laugh is or a smile or a tear, they look at it at the surface, at the surface level. They'll say, I see a tear. It's wet. It's salty. I see a smile. I see a laugh. Obviously, these things we learn at a young age by looking at our parents and just our natural instincts, you start picking up what is a laugh, what is a smile, and then we see people naturally when they're happy, they laugh. When they're sad, they cry. So you realize that what we see with our eyes is only the outer, outer layer, the tip of the iceberg. Now let's go, how deep can you go? If someone wants to say to you, so what's behind sadness? What makes someone sad? In other words, just like what sadness is to tears, what is to sadness? What causes sadness? What's the cause of sadness? So they will say, okay, it could be a loss. It could be trauma. It could be fear. It could be shock. It could be just something that touches your heart. A song or a, uh, a scene or an experience or a story. So then you keep going deep, deep, deeper. You come to realize that there are layers to the human personality and the human being. All the way to places that are beyond the conscious. Sometimes we may cry for no apparent reason. And, that, and where does that come from? You can't identify the immediate cause. As a matter of fact, my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, that's how I began. Have you ever cried for no apparent reason? Actually, I added that later, in, the, in a later stage in the draft of the, of the book. As a matter of fact, it, a few years later, it was Kirk Douglas, when he wrote his book, Climbing the Mountain, he said he had a stroke. Uh, and then he was really, really very disturbed by it. And he would cry a lot. Someone gave him a copy of Toward a Meaningful Life and he read, what, why do you, did you ever cry for no apparent reason? And he did. And the con- book continues in Toward a Meaningful Life that says, this is the voice of your soul. The voice of your soul. Your soul has a higher state of consciousness, a higher state of connection. And at times, even though we may not know why, we can suddenly cry. It can be due to existential loneliness or just sensing something or not even being aware of why. And, and he based a whole part of his own journey, his epiphany, based on my book, upon that concept of the idea of a soul calling out to you makes you cry. It could also make you smile. My point that I'm making here is that beneath the surface of what we experience on an empirical level with our sensory tools, there lies layers upon layers, or I should say layers beneath layers that go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. How deep? We may never know. Because part of it becomes beyond the known, it's unknown, it's superconscious. And I use that word intentionally, superconscious, not, not subconscious or unconscious, which suggests like a subterranean level underneath. Because this is really above, not underneath. It's beneath it all, but it's really above it all. So then, let's apply this now in the macrocosm. You see it raining outside. I'm specifically using that example. It's again, wet, rain. Where does the rain come from? So for most of us, it's raining. There's a forecast of rain. Take your umbrella, raincoat, prepare, etc. You go to a meteorologist. They'll tell you the rain systems come from pressure systems, from uh, cloud systems, from uh, high barometer lows, clashing with each other, the, the warm and the cold. And you have rain. You have a storm. 
People are fascinated by the meteorologists. That's why you have in every news show, you have this little section, three, four minutes, where they show you maps and weather systems and air pressure systems and so on. Most people may not even know what all that is, but it sounds intriguing. We like the idea. When the Weather Channel was first uh, conceived, people said, who's going to watch a Weather Channel for 24-7? They want to hear the weather report five minutes every day. And yet it took off and became a very popular, one of the most popular uh, cable shows, the Weather Channel. Because some say, because people are intrigued to know what makes us tick. What makes this world work the way it is? The same intrigue that caused us to go to the moon and spend trillions of dollars, NASA, exploring outer space. What's out there? We're curious. We want to know what's out there. Are there lives like us out there? So that's the human nature to look for what's beneath or what's underneath the surface and to get to deeper levels. So rain, so rain. The meteorologist will tell you these forces. You go to a Kabbalist and they'll say, one second, maybe rain is like, like tears. Maybe it's the angels crying. Maybe it's some type of cosmic tears that are coming to cleanse the world. So that you go a deeper level. So you see there are many levels in how we understand any physical phenomenon. Now we work our way from the outside in. But when you study these Kabbalistic maps, so to speak, they actually map out the inner DNA and the inner molecules and subatomic levels of existence. So in that context, let's, talk, let's use that. When you look at a physical phenomenon, we know today that the world is made up of many different parts. But then it's been broken down to the elementary table, elementary par- particles, elements, called elements, the, the table of elements. Whether it's oxygen or hydrogen or today 106 elements or whatever it may be. When I was in school, I think it was 102. These elements are made up of parts themselves, molecules. Molecules, so for example, H2O, the most famous one, water. One part of hydrogen to two parts of oxygen and combine them, that's water. So water is an element. Well, actually water is an object. It's not even an element. It's an entity made up of two elements, hydrogen and oxygen. But what about hydrogen and oxygen? What are they made up of? Well, we know today molecules are made up of atoms, and atoms are made up of subatomic particles, and subatomic particles are made up of sub-subatomic particles. Quarks, whatever they're called today. And people ask, how far down does the rapid hole go? Again, it's an endless journey. We don't know sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-sub. There's no question that it doesn't end in any place that we are aware of. So you see from this that when you look at a little, you take a cup of water, you, t- you drink it, or rain splatters on your face, or tears come out of your eyes, or anything else going on has layers under layers that are f- cause and effect that are bringing it to this surface level. So then when you think of it that way, the question is how do they interact? How does the underlying layers, let's say, of the subatomic particles interact with atoms? How do atoms interact with molecules? How do molecules interact with elements? How do elements interact with the substances that we're familiar with? In other words, how does it travel? How does an atom become a molecule? Why doesn't it just stay on the atomic level or subatomic level? Why, don't, why does the sadness inside you not just remain sadness? How does it turn into a physical entity that will ultimately be a teardrop? And the same can be asked about everything in this material world. Come the Kabbalists and the Hasidic masters who really elaborate about, about it in a very rational, structured way. And I'm specifically quoting now from Chabad Hasidic thought, 
Rab Shneir Zalman of the Adi composed and codified a comprehensive blueprint, a comprehensive system of understanding these forces at work in ways that we can rationally relate to. Once upon a time, this was mutually, this was exclusive to a very small minority of people who had reached advanced levels of consciousness, higher states of consciousness, advanced levels of study and piety and sanctity. But for many reasons, this has now become much more accessible to everybody. And what, is he, what do they teach? They teach that there is a fascinating journey, which is called the cosmic order, or in Hebrew, the Seder Ishtalshalus, that actually carries so-called a more sublime level to a more mundane level. So in answering the question, how do you get from subatomic particles to, to atomic, to, molecule, to the molecular, to the elementary, and so on, the same thing is asked on the spiritual level. How do you get from pure spirit to matter? As much as spirituality is condensed or diminished, it won't become matter. But let's quote and cite our good old uh, physicist Albert Einstein, E equals mc squared, where he established that energy and matter are, are reversible, are interchangeable. E equals mc squared, that all energy can be turned into matter and all matter can be returned into energy. The simplest example for it is take water. You heat it, it turns into gas. You freeze it, it turns into ice. So someone who wouldn't know the difference would say, here's ice, here's water, here's gas. They think it's three completely three different worlds. If they're not, it's the same world. Heat causes the water to become gas. Cool it, becomes back into water. Condensation. Freeze it and it becomes ice. And you can reverse this process time and again. And they never disappear. Even if you're to heat all the water, it'll turn into gas. The gas will never disappear. Obviously, applying this now to the larger world is equals E equals MC squared. So E being energy, matter, and C, the, light, the, 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 the speed of light. And that when you combine them, you can create a formula of E of energy and matter being interchangeable. Now, the truth is this concept, as I've discussed in previous classes, I may have discussed it even last week briefly, is really one of the great contributions of Sinai. What happened at Shavu is that we just celebrated earlier this week, on Sunday and Monday, is what happened. Heaven met earth. Spirit kissed matter. God and the human race became connected. So spirit and matter met that to the point that we can transform matter into spirit, into spirituality, through our good deeds, through our mitzvahs. Point being that matter and energy, though they look like two different realities, two different entities, two different universes, actually one can connect to the other. Because at the end of the day, matter really is energy. Just energy with a, think of it, with a garment on top of it. You package energy, it looks like matter. Take away the package, the matter returns back into energy. And there's an elaborate process of how that energy evolves into matter. Obviously, the energy needs to be concealed, it needs to be diminished, it needs to be distilled and harnessed, because if the energy is at full capacity, it will burn up anything around it. Energy has that power. Think of it like fire, powerful fire. However, if it's harnessed, if it's controlled, if it's um, channeled, then it can enter into matter, and the matter does not explode, and the energy, the spark of energy, vivifies and energizes that piece of matter. Using a verse in, the, in one of the famous verses in the Bible, man does not live on bread, on bread alone man does not live. We live on the spark of the divine within the bread. 
So everything in this universe has divine sparks, has divine energy, if you wish, energy. But the energy remains beneath the surface. And the energy needs to go through what's called a stalschluss, a order of a, a hierarchy, a gradation of levels that it gets diminished as the containers grow. A good example for this would be, think of a, a newborn child. Think of a, I'm sorry, a conceived newborn cell. So father and mother have now conceived a child. What do you find the first, the first moment of conception? One cell. And that cell, 30 hours later, will split into two and begins a splitting process. In the beginning, it's condensed energy. It's all energy in one container, one cell. But then the cells need to develop and need to multiply and split because you need a human body. Now, the energy of the, of the new fetus would be so intense and wouldn't allow the cells to split. You wouldn't have life, God forbid. If the cells are too powerful and the energy dissipates, you can have a miscarriage, God forbid. So what you need to have is a perfect balance of the energy that is giving life to these cells and the cells slowly splitting until they actually become, at some point, we, we can recognize and distinguish clearly organs. The brain, the mind, arms, legs, as the fetus develops in each of the stages of pregnancy until you have a beautiful, newborn, healthy child. And when you think of it, how did this child, a full-bodied organism, with all the complexities, with trillions of cells, come from one cell? Even more than that, there was a time there was no life even. This is one of the mysteries, but when you study the Kabbalistic and the Hasidic map, it teaches us how the process works and how that reflects the process in the cosmos. Now, this long, elaborate discussion is meant to explain the need for the interfaces, because that's critical. Because if it goes too quickly, if the energy is too intense or the containers are too weak, you will not have a balanced life. This is what's called in Kabbalistic terminology, shvira takelim, of the world of toyu, in the world of chaos, the shattering of the containers. It's a conceptual concept, not physical shattering, but it's the tension. Think of it any time someone experiences trauma, there's a certain shattering. Something has been broken. So the shattering of the containers is reflective of tension between energy and matter. Then you have tikkun. The world of tikkun is repair. What does it do? It creates harmony within diversity. It creates balance. It creates a structure that is symbiotic and can work in a complementary way, synchronized, without destroying one another. Case in point, the human body again. Look at the human body. So many different systems. Between 30 and 75 trillion, trillion cells. God forbid one mutation can wreak havoc. But when it's balanced, tikkun, what you have is an unbelievable miracle. So many different systems all working together. Because what you have is not only diversity, but you also have harmony. And you have these millions of different interfaces. These millions of different um, valves, or I call the partitions or curtains, that are not just curtains, they are actual regulators. They regulate the flow. They diminish when necessary, they open when necessary, that it should be perfectly regulated to allow for the material structure to be able to be built into a human body while retaining and maintaining the right energy. So the energy is balanced and the containers are balanced. Iris and Kalim in the language of the Kabbalah. So these interfaces play a critical role because without them, you will not have life, will not have function. So what does the interface play in this context? The interface, the interface we have skin, 
We know skin plays many different roles. One of them is actually protecting the body. The skin and the hair, the outer layers of the epidermis, are actually almost like they catch. Think of it like a flycatcher, bacteria, and other infections, and don't let them into the body. They play other roles as well in cooling and heating the body. That's why when we perspire through the pores of the skin, that's necessary to keep the body temperature balanced. So when you're running, that's why we sweat, because sweat is a way of releasing the heat. And there's balance. So if you need balance even further now, they discovered last year, they discovered a balancing level, the interface that they call the interstitium, under the skin. And what does that consist of? It consists of fluid-filled chambers. Fluid-filled. So though the skin, as I mentioned, has moisture, but you can't say there's, flu- there's a fluid flowing through the skin. It's actually drier than, than, than wet, though it's moist. But beneath the surface lies <coughs> these layers that allow us to actually, as I mentioned, open fluid-filled highway that serves like a highway that allows the fluids to flow through the body. They also serve as distributors, as I mentioned, and they also serve as shock absorbers. So they are part of that elaborate and fascinating structure that allows the energy and matter to interact without one overwhelming the other. I would need to do more research to discover where can we find this parallel in actually in the cosmos. As I said, in the Ayin Beis, he does discuss, discuss three general and even more broken down, I think I counted six, seven interfaces that are served like similar membranes, more subtle than others, the ones more, that are more subtle than others between one state of being like the superconscious to the conscious. Within the superconscious itself, there are, there are layers. <clears throat> and then as you go downward, as I said, all the way to the diaphragm, which separates between the more refined, the lungs and the intestines, and other different types of uh, interfaces throughout. So we have to find where does this one belong. That I need to do more research, and I will do some more research on that. I, I will report to you my findings. And what I can say now is that because the skin, as I said, interacts with the world outside of us, it actually is the one that, as I said, buffers and doesn't allow infections and other forces to enter the human body. It also serves as a ventilation system. So you have to say that this interface is an interface between the outer, called the outer armor, if you wish, the outer garment of the human body, which is the skin and its layers, and the inner, inner parts. Because remember, the interstitium is, not the cell, is, not, is, is still part of the skin. It's beneath the skin. It's under the skin. But it's not part of the muscles. Well, actually, I should correct myself. There is an interstitium in the muscles also, but it's not part of the bones. It's not part of other structures. So it plays a role in between the higher layers of the skin and that which comes beneath the skin. So that, I'm sure scientists, as they go along, will research it further and we can learn from that. And hopefully we can teach them a thing or two based on the Kabbalistic and the cosmic and spiritual structure. But I want to bring this now into practical application. What does it mean to us? So besides the fact, the general lesson of all interstitiums and all interfaces, that we need balance in our lives. A person cannot just have a high or a low. You need to have balance. I always mention the story with the cardiologist that often comes to my class, and he has a difficult life. He's a difficult life. Very sweet guy. 
And once he said to me, he has a lot of difficulty at home and personal matters and so on. He once said to me, I need a blessing from you. One day of total bliss, total peace. So he's a, he, I, I know he would get it, so I decided to make to do a, a little humor. So I said to him, what are you asking for? Like a flat line? As a cardiologist, he said, no, 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 not that. We all know a cardiogram that's a flat line is not exactly a good thing. That means the heart has stopped. Flat line is just a flat line. What does a good cardiogram look like? Waves. Like that. Equal waves. That's a perfect cardiogram. Waves. There's peaks and there's valleys. But they're balanced. Like a good wave. If the peaks are too high or the valleys are too deep, that's imbalance. Too much anxiety, that means that a person's peaks are too high. Too much animal bliss, too much serenity and calm means a person doesn't have a healthy measure of angst and that drives them to succeed. It could be depression. So you need the perfect balance. And in Kabbalistic and Hasidic thought, there's a word for it. There's an expression for taken from the book of Ezekiel, the vision of Ezekiel, and the expression is v'achayis rotzei v'shuv. The energy runs and returns. Or maybe, a, maybe that's, that's a literal translation. It yearns and settles in. Tension and resolution. That is the perfect cardiogram. That's the perfect heartbeat, the perfect breathing, and perfect balance psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually in a person's lives. What does that mean? That you have a healthy measure of reaching upward, knowing you don't have it yet, so you are of an angst, healthy angst, that causes drive and determination to reach, but you also have a healthy balance of grounding it. People who only have that transcendence, that seeking transcendence and cannot ground it, can cause problems. I was always fascinated tragic, by the tragic deaths of these young genius musicians, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, and even those that didn't OD or, or didn't die due to the, uh, the, the drug use or whatever it was that ultimately caused it, were burned on Miles Davis and others. What happened was, clearly they were reaching very great heights, but they had no way to ground it. And there comes a point that the tension and resolution are completely imbalanced. There's no resolution to your tension. That's the shattering of the containers that I referred to earlier. So the general lesson of all interfaces in this system is interfaces are critical for balance in life. You can be a person who's extremely spiritual, extremely transcendent in nature. You need to be grounded because we live in a material world. Or else you can expire in your spiritual search, and that has happened. The first documented story of, of, uh, of burning out was Nadav and Aviyu, the two sons of Aaron, who went into the Holy of Holies unprepared. They went for good reason. They were extremely passionate souls, extremely transcendent, and wanted to taste of the highest of high, the holiest of the holy. But they were not fully prepared to ground it. So it says a strange fire, an alien fire consumed them. And then a few, two chapters later, the Torah tells us, how do you enter the Holy of Holies? It doesn't say never enter. But here's how, this is how you shall enter the Holy of Holies in a prepared way. Another story, famous story of the four that entered the orchard, the Pardis. Rabbi Akiva, Ben Azay, Ben Sheshesh, and Acher, Elisha Ben Avuya. One died, one went mad, one became an apostate. And only one, Rabbi Akiva, entered in peace and exited in peace. He had the balance, the tikkun. He had the balance, the interface, to, to be able to reach great heights and then draw down 
in realistic grounding experience. Body and soul working together. You cannot just have in the expression of klesanefesh, which means the spirit expires to the point that it leaves the body behind, to the point even of death. So balance. But more specifically, what is the interface of the inter the interstitium? I keep looking it up because it's not an easy word to express. So I would say it is something beyond the skin and the outer layers of the skin, of course, interact with the world around us, as I mentioned. It deals with dealing with uh, the, the as I, cleansing, ventilating, and other things. But we don't just want to live a life that's purely survival on a skin level. We want to get under the skin. We want to also live a life that has some type of spiritual vitality. So even though our bodies are encased in an in a encasing called skin and bones and so on, but we want more than that. We want to be able to interact and have our bodies connect to our souls. So the interstitium perhaps plays a role. The first interface that begins to bring a moisture level and water is, is symbolic of love, I mentioned. It's also symbolic of spirituality. It's symbolic of knowledge. When we say the world filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So water on a spiritual level is actually brings moisture and brings vitality to anything that it touches. So when you look at the skin itself, without that interface, it can become, as I said, an outer layer that's disconnected from our inner beings. So the interstitium is one of the first interfaces, one of the first stops, if you wish, where the two meet, the world of the skin and its outer layers, and the world of the inner meaning, the inner significance of a person's life. To give an example, you ask a person, most people, you ask them, who are you? They give you their business card. And when you say, but the business card, that's what you do, it's not who you are. They say, well, that's all I know about myself. That's who I am today. Some will say, what I do has become who I am. Just think of that. Who you are should dictate what you do. But for some people, what they do has become who they are. That means survival controls our lives. I need to survive, I need to pay my bills. I may even be successful at it, maybe making a lot of money. But what's driving your life? Your in outer life is driving your inner life. In truth, it should be your inner life driving your outer life. So the interstitium, interstitium, focuses and tells us that even on the skin level, even on the outer material level, there is already an interface to deeper levels. That you have to realize material life, the material skin-like life of our outer forces of survival, our outer experiences of survival, is not where it's at. It's only an outer layer to interact with the world around us, and it is meant to be vitalized and to be energized and to be moisturized by the interstitium. Now, what is the role? So interstitium does another thing. It tra- it's transportation. It transports nutrients and liquids and fluids from one part of the body to the next, which, of course, creates a healthy symbiosis, a healthy balance, a healthy harmony. And finally, it also serves as a shock absorber. So on a physical level, a shock absorber, if someone strikes you, like, you know, you see a strike, it, does, you, it, it absorbs the shock. But on a spiritual level, what are shock absorbers? Is that when you have in your, in your arsenal more than one, all your eggs are not in one basket, but you have many different things in your life that are valuable, that absorbs the shock of losing one. When you see people who have put all their eggs in one basket, then you take that away from them, 
they can be destroyed by that. It always, always disturbed me and always found shocking to people who literally jumped from buildings after the great, in the Great Depression when the stock market crashed. And you hear stories of suicide after people lose their money. Well, how could you do that? You have a family. You have people who love you. There's so many other things of value in life. Money is enough to make you kill yourself. So you have to say that and they're not necessarily disturbed people, that they put so much value on the outer skin of their lives, the, the image that they portrayed and projected in, in, in wealth, their, their, their status, their, uh, their state, what class they had in society, that when that was taken away from them, they felt like it was no, not worth living. That's a perfect example of someone whose outer level takes control of your life. Then we hear, by contrast, the story of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe when he was arrested in 1927. And um, this was the Bolsheviks, especially the Jewish communists, the Yevsekhtia, who pursued literally mercilessly their brethren, their Jewish brothers and sisters. And the previous Rebbe refused to cooperate. He said it was for his own morale, for his own spirit, he was refused to cooperate. So one of, and, he, and he, even though he was fluent in Russian, he, he only spoke in Yiddish. And these were all, all these Jewish uh, anti-Semites were all spoke Yiddish. One of them pointed a gun to his head and said, Rebbe, in Yiddish, he said to him, I'll translate. He said, this gun has changed many people's minds. Start cooperating. And the Rebbe, without flinching, looked at him in Yiddish, said to him, this toy, this tzatzka, can frighten someone that has one world and many gods, but not someone who has one god and many worlds. You have one, one world and many gods, the god of your, this pleasure you have, that pleasure, this lust, this desire, this seduction, but not someone who has one god and many worlds. What does that mean? Not that the Rebbe, God forbid, was looking to embrace death, but you can't frighten me because I have many worlds. I have a spiritual world. I have an eternal world. I have my Jewish world. I have my faith. I have my family. So yes, you can take away one piece of my, me, but not the rest of it. Think of that lesson. This is what kept so many Jews and so many people of faith alive, even in the most difficult circumstances, in the Holocaust and so on. Because you cannot take away from us who we are. You can take one piece. People, however, whose lives are defined by the skin, meaning by their outer material levels, you take that away, there's nothing left. So the interstitium reminds us as of an interface, that there's a whole world beneath the surface that connects your outer life to your inner life. And this is the first one, the first interface. There are many, many others as you go deeper. That's one among many lessons that we can derive from this. And when a person realizes that, it enhances themselves, their own welfare of their lives, their well-beings, the welfare of their relationships. Because think of the same thing in a relationship. Two people love each other for external reasons. They're physically attracted. Or for right now, it's convenient to have a partner with you. But as soon as that is compromised in some way, what else is there in the relationship? However, when you understand the relationship has layers, there's the biological attraction, that's the skin-like attraction between two people. There's the emotional connection. There's an intellectual connection and compatibility. There's a spiritual compatibility. They share a vision together. Then it's not just a skin connection. It's not just flesh. It's actually a connection that touches so many layers. So when you think of it that way, if it's just skin, then yes, it's subject to the mortality and subject to the vicissitudes and the ups and downs 
of superficial experiences. When there are more deeper layers, then there's an interstitium layer and other layers that connects to deeper layers, then the relationship is enhanced. So every area of life is transformed by this concept of interfaces beginning with interstitium. So my friends, as I found it fascinating, I hope you too did do as well, by looking at this so-called new discovery, new organ, new body part, whatever you want to call it, but most importantly to learn the lessons from it in our personal lives, what it teaches us about integration, about harmony, about balance between our transcendental, our spiritual lives and our material lives, which is the essence and the mission of the Meaningful Life Center. This is what we do. We try to find that formula, to find that connection between you, who you are and what you do, between your mission in life and your survival and your actions, between your skin and that which lies beneath your skin. So please stay in touch with us, write to us, share, like. This class, as all classes, are archived. You can find them on all, all the platforms out there. We're here every Wednesday night live. Wednesday night is a live broadcast. But as I said, it's archived. You can download it as a podcast, as, a, as, a, um, as a, an iTunes, and so on. And please share your thoughts, your questions, your comments. These classes are an outgrowth of our interaction. It's always an honor to intersect with kindred spirits and other souls out there because we're all part of one network, one highway, one web. Different pieces, diverse, but all connected as the interstitium teaches us. So this has been Simon Jacobson. Everyone be well until next Wednesday. Again, go to MeaningfulLife.com for a, re- a wide array of resources. Please share them with your friends. And as always, we depend on your support, both moral, spiritual, and material support, financial support, by going to MeaningfulLife.com slash donate and contributing with the goodness of your hearts. Everyone be well, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.